What's going on, everybody? You got Jay Banana here, and you are listening to STL by Design, brought to you by AIGA St. Louis. And if you're joining us for the first time, we are Design for Good Co-Chairs within the board of AIGA St. Louis, and our intent with this show is to highlight any efforts at the intersection of creativity and positive impact. And this week, we will be talking to Jeff Mazur, who is currently Launch Code's executive director. And he's going to tell us a little bit more about what Launch Code is and who he is. Right on. Well, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be a, a part of this podcast and talk a little bit about Launch Code and share some of what we talked about is uh, something that exists at the intersection of, uh, of th- good things that are happening here in St. Louis. So as you said, I'm the executive director of Launch Code and Launch Code is a nonprofit that's mm-hmm. about six years old, founded here in St. Louis that exists to help fill the tech talent gap. And so what does that mean? Well, it means that there are literally hundreds of thousands of jobs in the U.S. and tens and tens of thousands of jobs here in St. Louis that go unfilled because there aren't people who uh, have the, the skills to step into those jobs. And so what Launch Code is founded to do is to solve that problem by giving people free, accessible training that allows them to build those skills. And then working with employers to find a landing place for those people so that people can actually start careers. We we know that the typical way, the ordinary way in which tech hiring has happened has been one that's more exclusionary than it is inclusionary. Mm -hmm. And so what LaunchCode is about is working with employers to say there is a way to do this that opens the door to thousands of new people. And you really ought to be doing that because you have a big gap that you can't fill Uh, or you can continue doing things the way you've always done them and you'll continue to have this gap that gap is only going to grow and grow and it's going to be a big problem for you and your company it's going to be a big problem for our economy and it's going to be a big problem for people who are driven and passionate about doing this work but aren't being given the opportunity to step in how did you find yourself involved with this yeah it's a great question Um, my uh, career such as it is has always been spent in what I'll call mission focused Mm -hmm. work so whether it's politics and low-wage worker organizing or working for uh, in government in various capacities. It's always been something that is about how can I make an impact in a way that I feel is positive. And so I started working for Launch Code about four years ago, Mm -hmm. and it was because I was introduced to the organization and saw that what they were trying to achieve was something that meshed really well with what had been a motivating factor in, in some of the work that I'd done previously, which is how do you work in truly scalable ways to give people the tools of self-empowerment to improve their own lives, improve the lives of their family members, improve their communities, and improve the lives of the people who are adjacent to them, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's in the workplace or in a learning environment. And so that was really compelling to me, and that's what brought me to Launch Code. And I've been really lucky to be able to grow as an individual while the organization has grown and to get to serve in a role now that feels like a real privilege mm-hmm. uh, to work as executive director of the organization. So what got you into this kind of work? Because it sounds like this has been your area of interest for a long time, and Launch Code is another part of that but what got you started in that whole like yeah. entire field there's a, that's what it's even called <laughs> sure there's a, a, a dear friend of of mine uh, going way back to college and i always she used a turn of phrase to describe her own orientation to the world that i think answers this question to a degree for me too and she describes herself as having an overdeveloped sense of justice Mm. and I I think in some ways uh, much of the work that I've tried to focus on has been in uh, in that same vein and that is to say look you see things and you see the world the way it is and you see well look there has to be a better way right because there are all these people who are who are cut out who are left out whether it's about really the ability to participate in the economy because they're a low-wage worker and there's no path out of that or because they want to work in a certain field and we have these somewhat arbitrary barriers to entry that have been put up that keep people out like Mm -hmm. in the tech field and all that you look at it and if you take a step back and if you're not someone who's deeply invested in the long-standing structures that exist in those places and you say well this is really silly and it shouldn't be that way and justice requires you taking some sort of action to try and rectify those things and so you know obviously you can apply uh, a sense of justice to any number of things and here in this community there are obviously lots uh, of places where we could do with more justice and, and more equal justice and all that but sometimes the avenue for your work finds you sometimes you find it and i think 
in the case of, of launch code, this opportunity, it was not something uh, I would have never said to myself, hey, am I going to work someday to try and create a more equitable uh, tech workforce in <laughs> St. Louis and beyond? Uh, no, I'm not a technical person. Right. I don't have, I don't know how to code, but that found me and it spoke to these deeper urges that, that I have and that informed some of my previous career choices. So, you know, I think that's I think that's how I come to this place and how I think about um, the work and the connection between the work I do today and the work that preceded it. I went to college and I went to law school and I've never practiced law a day in my life. It was just three <laughs> years I spent to learn a thing that, oh, hey, this is pretty cool and now I'm going to do something that's totally different <laughs> from this and, and that's okay. But the persistent thing has always been I made that choice at the outset not to go into that world because I felt like sitting in a, the 30th story of an office tower somewhere and um, doing litigation on behalf of a railroad didn't really feel like a thing that was going to be all that fulfilling. Right. Whereas going out and, you know, fighting in the streets or knocking on doors to try and organize people to get $2 an hour more in pay felt like, look, you can make a fortune that way? No. But you feel some sense of having made the world a little bit better place in a way that's that's demonstrable and that's visible for a particular person, a particular family at that place and time in their life. And the answer to that was yes. And that became the important thing. And the context is obviously different and the domain is different here with Launch Code. But in the same way, I get to wake up in the morning and go do a job at a place where it is about changing lives and where every so often we get to see people graduate from our programs and go into a job where hey, before they were making $22,000 a year working two or three different jobs on a part-time basis in low-wage work, and now they're going to go, and right off the bat, they're going to make $55,000 a year right. in a job that's going to very quickly allow them to, to climb that ladder and to really do things that will change their family in meaningful ways for a long time. You see that, you witness that, and you think, okay, now now you've got something, and if you can do this you know, in the, in the context of, of launch code, and globally these numbers aren't very big, but if we think about... In 2018, you know, 344 people whose careers were started by virtue of launch code wow. going through that sort of change. In the first half of 2019, 229 people whose careers uh, are started through launch code and who are able to experience that substantial life change. Well, that's really cool and that's impactful. And it's impactful at the human level in terms of just changing a particular individual life. And it's impactful at the systems level, you know, to a place now where the work that LaunchCode does in here in St. Louis makes us the most prolific creator of new talent going into the software space in, yeah. in the whole region. So more than any other institution of higher education, more than any other training provider, LaunchCode is putting hundreds of people out there uh, in order to do this work, changing those people's lives and making a very, very uh, deep impact on the, the landscape of business and industry and the tech workforce here, which is cool. It's nice to join something that genuinely has a human impact and has um, this this larger scale economic impact. And I oftentimes uh, you know, kind of joke with people, but it's true when I talk about the different things that I've done in my career that you go from working in the political space where you tell people what you do and it's basically a 50 50 proposition they either think oh, that's really cool yeah. or like ah oh, you're a piece you know uh, and, and you go and so you go from that where that becomes the expectation for your career yeah. every day to launch code where you tell somebody what you do you say ah oh, we train people for free to code and then get them jobs as software developers and 98 percent of people are like that's really cool and two yeah. percent of people are like indifferent to it or don't understand right. it and so that's like a vastly different uh, uh thing and and i think that speaks to the the power of the model and the the sweet spot that LaunchCode has found in doing something that um, resonates with people at a human level and makes total sense from a business value standpoint. Uh, it's not a lot of stuff like that. So, um, you know, where we where you find those things that are impactful and that work, uh, my view is you have to drive them as hard as you can and try and make as much impact and, and, and create as many outcomes as you can to, to make sure we're creating full value for everyone. So that's actually a good segue. Uh, you've mentioned, you touched on it a couple times, but can you actually expand on kind of what programs and classes sure. LaunchCode has to offer? Sure. Two different threads that I want to talk about. One is about fully about job placement and what we refer to as apprenticeship. So one of the thematic realities of Launch Code is that we don't think it should matter how or where you learned, that the only thing matters is that you have the skill mm -hmm. and that the credential or the letters behind your name or an institution that you went to shouldn't be the determinant of whether you get a shot or not. It should simply be about whether you have the skill to do the job. And so one of the things we do is around serving as a 
what I'll call kind of a neutral and trusted third party evaluator of someone's mm. skill and readiness for work. So somebody may have taught themselves to code and fully online. They've got no credential, they've got no degree, but they have that skill. But employers just see their resume and it says, oh, mm-hmm. you know, look, you worked at FedEx Kinko's and you don't have a degree and you say you're applying here for this junior software developer job and right. they say you've learned, but how do we really know? And for most of history, that person doesn't even get in the room to explain themselves, right? right. They're right. screened out at the front end. And so what LaunchCode said was, well, that's a shame because there are a bunch of those people, hundreds, and, and we've proven hundreds and thousands of those people here in St. Louis and other places that do have the skill to do the work. And so if um, you can convince an employer that LaunchCode has this process and has this trusted evaluation method where we can say, notwithstanding where the person learned or how the person learned or what credentials they do or don't have, that this person is a good candidate to do the work because they meet all these factors and criteria that we've seen are critical, then that employer can feel good about letting that person in the room and taking a chance on them and opening the door to someone who comes from a non-traditional channel. So that's what we think about as our, what we call our apprenticeship or job placement. So, you know, Javen, if if you um, developed skill and you wanted to try and go in that door, you can go and apply on LaunchCode's website and you'll do a technical test online and then you'll go through an interview process where again we put you through the technical ringer and see what your skills are mm. and then ask some behavioral questions and see how your communication skills are obviously you host a podcast podcast you're great at communication <laughs> so we put all that stuff in the package we say all right javen he meets all the criteria he's ready to go we're going to start connecting him to employers mm-hmm. who have a need for a person that uh, shares his skill set and that's the pathway in that 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 javen takes in that instance to start that career and we do some things with the employer to take some of the risk out of that process we usually now someone will work as an employee of launch code for the first three to five months of their experience Mm. and the employer pays launch code so that takes the employer out of this situation of feeling like they have to absorb a lot of risk and bring someone on as an employee right that helps grease the the wheels for this process and so this is the key thing that launch code does it's that uh, interaction between and pathway for a person who, by and large, is getting left behind in the current tech landscape, but can now, by virtue of LaunchCode's existence, find a pathway in to those employers and those careers. And in the same way in the other direction, it's a it's a conduit through which employers who need talent are finding people in a whole other universe that they aren't able to tap these days because their usual model just closes that door. Uh, so it's creating value on both ends and LaunchCode standing in the middle. The thing that and you know that may be apparent to some people who are familiar with launch code but it's probably not as apparent as the more visible components of our programming and those are the training components that we do and you know here in St. Louis we do a lot of that like hundreds i think you know it's probably in the neighborhood of 900 people this year in St. Louis will enroll in a launch oh, wow. code wow. job focused training program but those programs take a few different shapes the the one that we run most frequently and what we think of as our flagship program is called LC101 And this is a class that meets for 20 weeks. People come to class on Monday and Thursday evenings for three hours, usually like 5.30 to 8.30. Mm -hmm. They do probably 15 hours of work a week outside the classroom. And over the course of that 20 or sometimes 28 weeks, they build the skill that's necessary in order for us to get them to that level that I talked about through our evaluation process where we can place them with an employer partner. Uh, That's one program. We have another program that we've run for a number of years called Coder Girl. And this is a program for women by women. It's a little bit different in structure. Uh, depending on what track you enter as a coder girl, you'll go anywhere from like 26 to 46 weeks in a program that meets once a week on Wednesday evenings. And again, you will go from that level of uh, basically ground zero to readiness or close to readiness for a job over the course of that program. The other uh, model that we use sometimes and that we've begun to deploy more frequently here in partnership with the community college is called Immersive Code Camp. Mm-hmm. And this is the, the same curriculum as LC101, but it's delivered in an uh, an intensive, smaller class, um, full-time program. So whereas somebody's going to spend six hours a week for 20 or 28 weeks in class in the LC101 model, in CodeCamp, it is 30 people who sign up and for 14 weeks, full-time, 40 hours a week, they're in the classroom learning um, and they and they develop that skill set over that period. So again, each of these programs are intended to get people to the same level of readiness, but they're different deployment models because we recognize there is all different manner of of learner here in the community who need different things. And we try and provide things in a format that are going to be best suited to what the particular need of a learner is. So all these programs I should mention, and if I didn't already are free of charge to the learner. So we don't charge anybody anything at launch code. It's a core component of our ethos that part of the way you break down this gap is by providing training for free and not only for free, but 
providing it in via accessible models like the evening-based part-time model. So somebody who has that that 24-hour-a-week job where they got to work during the day can still access the training without having to give up their the ability to put food on the table without having to throw themselves full time into a learning program that they may that may keep them from being able to access it. So what's the application process like for someone? Is it the same kind of application for each program or does it vary? It varies slightly, um, but at its core, the application process intended to ferret out really three things. And those things are someone's passion, their drive and their aptitude. So, you know, aptitude, it's imperfect, but we usually use like a logic puzzle for this to get a sense mm-hmm. for what's someone's orientation to being able to look at information, use it to draw conclusions and solve problems logically. We find that's a pretty good indicator of someone's aptitude for doing things like the problems you're going to have to solve in learning to code. Uh, so that's a part of, in some way, shape or form, every one of these application processes for these programs. Again, in an, as precise a way we can, we use open an, open-ended short answer questions to try and understand someone's passion and drive for most of our programs. And we're trying to get at, tell me an example of something where you struggled with something and where you had to persevere and you had to get through. We know that some people very early going in one of these classes or some people halfway through or some people near the end, you will get to a place where you feel like you are stuck and you cannot move forward any further. The difference between the people who fall off at that point and the people who go through are the people who have demonstrated the capacity or have developed the capacity within themselves to deal with adversity, to push through and to have that drive to continue and persist even when you feel like you're tapped out. Mm. So we're trying to figure that out as much as we can on the front end. Who are those people who can very clearly articulate that this is a skill set that they have and that they've gone through it in various other stages in their lives? The passion question is really about trying to make sure that the people who are applying are a good fit for what we are trying to achieve through this program, which in the end is how do we create people who are ready to go into jobs that need to be filled in this economy? And so in the passion uh, question, we're trying to get at why does this person want to work to learn these skills? Is it because they really feel passionate about working in technology and they talk about how they take things apart or they tinkered or they, you know, spent 250 hours already trying to look at YouTube videos about JavaScript, (laughs) this kind of stuff, right? Those demonstrations that, all right, this is a person who is passionate about this subject and, and that will keep them engaged in the program and it will make them an attractive option for an employer down the road when they get to that space. Across the board, employers, when you talk to them about what their experience is with launch coders, they say, oh yeah, you know, I talked to Janine and Janine, yeah, I wasn't really sure like like her Java skill set was was still like needed a little work, but she talked with such passion about why she wanted to do this and the thing that she built and what she wanted to do and what she thought she could achieve. And that's what it's about because yeah. almost every employer recognizes that whoever they hire for these roles, these junior roles, they're going to have to grow and they're going to have to learn mm-hmm. and technology is going to change too. So people are going to have to grow and learn and change with it. But what you can't replicate and what you can't fake is that like genuine desire and passion to work in this space. And if you have that, that's contagious and and employers can see it. And that's the person that they want to work on their team because they know you're going to give that person a problem or something to work on and they're going to dig into it and they're going to stay on it like a dog on a bone until they learn whatever it takes to finish it or to do a good job with it. And ultimately, that's a big part of what we're trying to uh, sell employers on with Launch Code. And and we think that's our history bears that out. Yeah, I mean, I feel like... The technical skills you can teach, right? But if you don't have the passion to continue to learn and continue to push through, then employers can see that and like they can teach the technical skills. They'd probably rather not, but they can teach that. They can't teach you to think a certain way. They can't teach you to be driven. They can't teach you that and like that self-driving initiative. So, you know, that makes sense to me. I like I like that that's part of the application that it's not just like okay here's like a series of questions and here's you know like all of these kind of statistical um prompts it's more about why you want to be in this program from like a a personal standpoint for sure and and part of this is about the difference in learning style and what we're trying to create in those rooms. There are lots of opportunities to learn entirely online, right? Like in high quality programs and low quality programs, some of which cost a lot of money, some of which are free. Um, but the why, the reason why LaunchCode uses the model it uses, which is, 
you know, where, where all of our curriculum is hosted online and where that's where people are completing the assignments, but it has this intensive in-person component for all our classes because what we know is that a, a couple things. One, that if you create a community around this, a self-supporting and self-reinforcing community of mutual learning, that people will learn faster and they'll learn in different ways. Plus, it replicates the the process and the environment in which people are going to hopefully be working once they move into the world, right? There is a, it is a rare place now where someone just gets locked in a cubicle somewhere and they just sit there for eight hours or 10 hours or 12 hours and just write code. Right. You know, they have to work within a team. They have to understand how to communicate about problems. They have to understand in some instances what the client side problems are and how to communicate back and forth around those things. And so the development of those skills in a, in a place where people are really engaged in that communicative aspect is really, really important in the design of our programs. And we're trying to understand that at the outset when we let people in too, right? There may be people who have great proficiency and demonstrate real aptitude for this, um, but uh, there's going to be a question if they if they kind of seem to think, oh, this other stuff is stuff I don't really have to worry about. I'm just worried about the raw technical aspect of it. Well, they're probably not going to be the best classmate and the best candidate for this program because uh, we recognize that there has to be that that mutually supportive and that group component of the work. That's what I miss about college. I miss the community part of it. I've thought about taking like online classes for things like post-college. And it's always hard because it feels so disconnected. It feels so impersonal. And like, why would I do it? I, there, no one's there to like be supportive necessarily or be or hold me accountable for anything or challenge me or bounce ideas off of it's just kind of me and like classmates potentially if I choose to interact with them I'm not kind of forced to interact with them in a space and like talk to them face to face and I always I I did one online class in college and it was awful and I tried to do an online class after college and it was awful I just there's something about like being in a classroom or like being in the space with everyone that you're learning with that I think is just invaluable. And One of the things that I always say, and it happens to be true, is that the gap is so, is so wide in terms of the need that exists for people who have this skill set that it is not as though we should be trying to answer the question of what is the one right way to solve this problem, right? It is going to genuinely take the success of and the growth of probably 10 different models of learning in order right. to train enough people to actually fill the need that exists um, in these various workplaces. And so we shouldn't be, the argument should never be, no, 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 online learning is wrong and this one is right. It should be, no, online learning is the right path for these people who have these characteristics and that's probably mm -hmm. a really good thing for them. And something like the launch code model is better for this universe of people who are, uh, like Anna, much uh, better oriented towards learning in a place where they can bounce things off other people where they can uh, learn by teaching in some instances and all this kind of thing. And so we are proud to deliver a, a training that is modeled in that way. And, you know, like I think part of this is just what your posture is towards human interaction. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and for me, to see people working together in a class is compelling and fascinating to me. To see at the conclusion of, a, uh, like the, I talked about the, our Code Camp program. We just graduated two, three weeks ago, our most recent cohort of Code Camp. Again, this is a great program that we're doing in, in uh, conjunction with the community college. And they host it at their place up in North City, uh, uh, the Harrison Center. And it's our curriculum. We do the, the recruitment and the find the instructors, and it's our curriculum. Um, but we do the program in partnership. And, you know, this class was 30 people uh, enrolled in that class. Again, 40 hours a week, 14 weeks, hard stuff and intensive. You're in there locked in doing this learning for a long time. But 30 people started that class and 28 people graduated. And you, you sit at graduation and you wow. see like the family that has developed there. And it is in every way, shape and form. It looks and feels and smells like a family yeah. when you see those people interacting together because they've been all through one another's shit in this process. Yeah. People have broken down in front of them. They've helped one another through and they are all like genuinely invested in one another's success when they come through the end of that. And you can see it in their faces. They're not just happy to have graduated the program. They are truly and genuinely happy for each one of their classmates who has made it through because they've seen what it takes to do that and they've felt it. And I think that's, you know, that's hard to replicate and that's not easy to replace. And you're certainly not going to get that through a program that's an entirely online learning program. And, and I think there's value to it. And I think in, in many ways that you can separate the technical skilling that LaunchCode provides 
kind of put that on the same level with other technical skilling providers. But I think there are very few places and things and training providers that create the same level of community and and genuine investment and mutual support that we see that happens in every cohort of launch code program that runs. And I think that's, to me, that's really cool. As someone who is not a technical person, who's more interested in the human aspect of this, that's, it's really fascinating. Are launch codes programs platform specific? So for example, is this, is it mostly a web development thing? Is it software? Is it sure. both? Yeah, it's it's kind of both. Uh, uh, we are historically our curriculum has been a three unit process, our LC one one curriculum that was fundamentals of programming taught in Python, mm-hmm. programming for the web taught in, in Python, and then a very job skill focused training in, in Java or C sharp. Yeah, we just started a new cohort here in St. Louis, actually, too, a daytime. LC101 and an evening that started uh, earlier this week on Monday, actually. And this is for the first time we've revised our curriculum. And so it's basically two units where fundamentals are taught in JavaScript. And again, the job focused uh, track in in JavaScript and Java. Um, So it's changing a little bit to reflect some changes in industry, which we're really trying to track to. But we also we also have other skill tracks that are delivered in the Coder Girl program. So Mm -hmm. there's a UX a track in Coder Girl, and there's a data science and data analysis track in Coder Girl. We do, uh, in some uh, deployments, deploy the Python track still for employers or where they're trying to train people in data-heavy uh, applications. And so because we do these classes and enroll 160 people in the class, right. and we're trying to get people into jobs, what we try to do is provide the skill set that provides the broadest base for, for, uh, onto which someone can layer more technical skills and more technology in their own personal tech stacks, and that also has the greatest relevance and sellability in the current uh, employment landscape. And so that's how we develop, we decide what skills to teach in these programs. It's all geared towards how do we maximize the investment of those dollars in learning that is going to uh, is going to be most highly likely to yield uh, an employable person at the mm. end. You ever thought about taking one of Oh yeah, I was going to ask just that. For fun. <laughs> I, I have thought about it, uh, and it's terrifying <laughs> to me. And we have other uh, my colleagues who are not technical people by training who are going through or have gone through the class, and they, it's an enlightening experience uh, for them. I'm just too yeah. too afraid, and you know, um, I won't say too old. That may be part of it at at this point to learn a new trick, but uh, it's. At some point, maybe I'll get to a place where I'm like, all right, I can integrate these 20 hours of learning into my yeah. uh, weekly schedule. But it, when I think about it, that's when it, I, I come back to the amazement of the people who do go through the program successfully, people who oftentimes have a full-time job already, and they got three kids, and they have all of the difficulties of life, and they still manage fi- time to find to squeeze in six hours a week in the evenings of class and 12, 15, 17 hours of study and other work beyond that to make it through to compress all that and to keep food on the table and keep your family running is like semi-miraculous i think it just really speaks to and that's why you see these people who they're bound to succeed when they get on the job because they've done the hard part already right they've they've done all like created all this stuff in their life and all this churn and they've still managed to learn and do a really hard thing and now they're going to go to work and they're going to learn and it's going to be easy in a way right because they're not trying to balance the 20 hours of learning and the 40 or whatever hours of other low-wage job or other stuff they're trying to do, they can focus solely on the thing they love and they care about. And that's that's really cool. And that's part of what makes the model successful. Have you ever thought about doing it? I was thinking about it as he was talking about yeah, it. Yeah, I've but thought you, about it before. I took some web development uh, courses specifically in mm. school and I liked it at first until mm. I actually ran into java yeah i hated that oh shit this is (laughs) this is another level of of things there's a there's a mindset there that for coding that i don't think i have when we got to javascript our teacher is like so javascript is is a logics problem and it's kind of like the word problems you would do in in high school like your math word problems it's got the same kind of strain of thought and i was like wow that was literally my least favorite and weakest spot in math was every time someone gave me a damn word problem with Timmy has six apples. I don't care who Timmy gives it to. And I never understood those. And so I was like, if that's what this is going to be for the next half of the semester, we're going to it's going to yeah. be a rough <laughs> it's going to be a rough few weeks. And I was right. <laughs> I talked already about 
the importance of having people together in a room and the importance of in-person, but I think this is really speaks to one of the key values and differences and value adds of the in-person versus an entirely online or individualized experience is that is, is sort of in the realm of imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. It is when you get to the hard part where you are failing and you're doing it on your own, your natural inclination is to believe I've reached the point where I've learned that I am not cut out to do this and I can't do it. And so, you know, this is just not for me and I'm set it to the side and I'm done. Um, when you do that in the class with 150 other people and you see 110 of those people are also <laughs> failing, you say, yeah. ah, everyone's got their me. head on the desk. This, yeah. is, a, this yeah. is not a hard thing. And I am not, I'm not the <laughs> exception. I am the rule. Everyone is just like me. I am cut out for this. I belong in the room and not outside the room. Right. And, and then it is, okay, now I can stick with it. I can go through and I can get to the other side of that valley and get on the upswing again. And, and we see that over and over and over. I'm sure there are people who have the what it takes to do that fully on their own, um, but I think it's much easier if you're in a place where you can see other people struggling with the same thing and understand that that's a natural dynamic that's a part of the learning, not some intrinsic flaw about you uh, or, or what you can or can't do. Agreed. All suffer together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you all reach people at all? Yeah, uh, here in St. Louis, we're we're really lucky. Uh, I try not to overstate the reach because I, I see and meet people all the time, whether it's my dentist or somebody at my church, and they say, what do you do? And I say, I work for Launch Code, and they say, what's that? And I think to myself, oh, man, I thought everybody in St. Louis knew what Launch Code is, right? <laughs> yeah. And I find out that's not true. Um, but we are lucky in that over our relatively brief existence here, just shy of six years, that we do have enough penetration into people's minds who are at least semi-connected to this space where it doesn't take a lot of monetary investment now in order for us to generate huge numbers of applicants for our programs. Yeah. Um, so to give you, for instance, um, I talked about the class that started on Monday. Um, we had basically 200 seats to fill for that class, 50 in a daytime section, 150 in an evening section. And we had, I think, just shy of 1,100 applicants for oh, those wow. 200 seats. Uh, for the April class, <laughs> we, had, we, had 180, <laughs> we had 180 seats to fill in a class that started in April, and we had like 1,260 applicants oh for that God. class. So there are literally, you know, in some of these classes, 1,000 people who we have to turn away um, from the class. And we don't feel good about that. We're glad that we can that we've made enough uh, penetration into um, the zeitgeist to get that sort of level of interest, but we also feel bad that we don't have sufficient levels of resource to say yes to everyone who can be successful in the program. So that's one of the challenges of running an organization, right? How do you identify and find more resource so you can reach more people and create more outcomes? But, um, you know, th this is, at, at its core, the that we solve this problem of reaching people largely via technical means, which is trying to find people where they are. Right. And maybe it's not fully where they are because we do get a lot of clicks off Facebook. Right. So, mm -hmm. so, but digital media and digital marketing and, you know, for a, for a while there, it was about spend, which you have to do as most people know, in order to really break through in digital media and social media advertising. But, you know, now by and large in St. Louis, with the exceptions of some targeted, very targeted communities that we're trying to reach and targeted demographics, we can kind of, roll out an email to our list that's tens of thousands of people long now with people who've applied in the past and say applications are open and we can put out some you know social media ads just on our native channels and you know the hundreds of applications will roll in here in st louis which is which is cool yeah um in other places you know we we have we have done a pretty good job of developing the digital marketing playbook that seems to be successful so we just uh, also in july uh, graduated our first class in memphis and this was the first time we ever did a program in Memphis or anywhere nearby there, anywhere in Tennessee. And we had, you know, 125 seats we wanted to fill. And we got 900 applicants in Memphis first time wow. just because we've kind of figured out how to go out there and find people where they are, find people who indicate gaming as a hobby on Facebook, uh, this kind of stuff, and target those people and uh, get out there and, you know, develop partnerships, too. It's great to have. We worked in, in Memphis with the Southwest Tennessee Community College. They were a great partner putting it out through their channels here in St. Louis literally hundreds of community partners and education institutions who share with their constituencies the fact that there's a launch code opportunity opening up and that um, expands the, the reach. I hope that what people see and feel is that their neighbor, their brother, their sister-in-law, their uncle, their nephew went through the program or had an experience with launch code that they found to be uh, useful or fulfilling yeah. and that that word of mouth connection is part of what drives the interest in and the continued growth of applications to our programs. And, and, Part of the reason, Jeff, that I ask that question is I believe, 
correct me if I'm wrong, Launch Code only operates out of one building in St. Louis, right? Uh, we, we host or classes in other places, but right. our, our staff and our operations are, ho- are housed in one building on Delmar Boulevard. Delmar. Yes. Okay, so that's where I was. Uh-huh. I'm trying to think, why was I even there in the first place? There was an AIGA meeting there. Were you there for that? That's it. So I was walking around, I suppose, and mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I did not think this is where this would be. So I, I was wondering... <laughs> kind of if if there were like deliberate means of going what is that Delmar and Euclid yeah so like going north on mm-hmm. Euclid as it were and saying sure. hey we've got this this and this uh, as an opportunity would you be interested or if it was more digitally based or no you I, I think the question to be fair to be clear sure. rather but. yeah no it, it's totally intentional I think I should be candid. Part of the reason we're in the building where we are there, uh, 4811 uh, Delmar on the north side of, of Delmar, right. uh, sort of the northern terminus of the Central West End neighborhood, southern end of the Fountain Park neighborhood. It was because there was an empty, what used to be an unemployment office there that the state owned, and they said, well, hey, it doesn't make sense for this building to sit empty. Y'all should use it for this kind of work. And so uh, we were lucky to to live in that space for quite a while. We, we actually bought the building earlier this year. It belongs nice. to us now in March, which oh, is that's cool. Awesome. But part of why, you know, we did feel like it was powerful that that building sits on Delmar. Obviously, from a St. Louis region perspective, Delmar uh, plays an, an, o- an oversized symbolic role in the many sorts of divides that exist in this community. And so for us, uh, we wanted to buy and stay permanently in that space, in that building on Delmar, because we think it's powerful for practical reasons. How do we make the entry point to this, these careers and these skills available in a neighborhood where, as you said, you may not expect it to, to pop up? And how do, you, how do we serve as a symbolic bridge for the so many things that we know plague us that are vast differences between what's north of Del Mar and what's south of Del Mar? And how do we orient ourselves as an organization that obviously can't solve many of the problems that uh, are divided along that line. But what we can do is say there's a history both in this city and well beyond in the tech space of a really divided place where, by and large, this has been a white male-dominated industry, coding and technology, and it shouldn't be that way. And at the same time, St. Louis has this history of um, segmenting its population, black people to the north of Del Mar, uh, white people to the south, and that's just the way it is, and that's the way it's always going to be. Well, how can we play a small role in trying to contravene that history and saying not only can we come together uh, as a people in a place on this, this sort of this spot that's freighted with all this symbolic importance, but how can we actually open a door for people, many of whom have been closed off from these opportunities, to um, access those opportunities through that spot, through that place where tech marks that spot on Del Mar, uh, so people can access things. We think that's really important, and and that's a part of the story and the narrative, I hope, that uh, will be told for a long time about Launch Code, that is about op- opening opportunity to a universe of people who oftentimes have been closed off from that opportunity. And, I mean, as a, you know, a second or third priority, that it's a, like the actual geographic spot on which we sit. Like, hey, there's, there's not like a lot that's been going on around there for right. a time. Obviously, lots of stuff happening in the Central West End, investment and development. Right. But uh, this particular stretch of Del Mar, fairly underutilized uh, over time. And, you know, we think and hope that as we see development happen there, that, um, launch code can persist in that spot and say, hey, this is not just going to be another place in St. Louis that's taken over by people from outside, but that right. we can like keep this as an outpost and plant a flag for inclusion and for giving people true access, not just physically, but to these careers and to these industries that are going to be such an important part of St. Louis's future. So it is intentional on our part, and we try and hug up on that as much as we can. Cool. So where you mentioned that your classes are in other areas in the city. So where are those areas if we're talking about accessibility and, you know, and kind of targeting specific communities in the city? So where do you have your classes and how are they, how is that location considered in terms of how people can get there Mm -hmm. and how easy it is for them to access it? So we have a number of classes that are running right now, just as for instance, all of which are located in what 
you may have heard referred to as a promise zone. So these are designated census tracts within St. Louis that are have certain levels of poverty and what have you. And so our building is located in them. We have two classes that are running there. Well, if you count Coder Girl, we've got a third class that are running there. We've got daytime LC 101, evening LC 101, Coder Girl there. We've got a class running at, um, up not far from here, actually, at Clyde C. Miller Academy, which is an SLPS high school yeah. um, on Grand. Um, we've got a class that's running there. We've got a class that's running at the Center for Workforce Innovation in Ferguson, which is on the oh, campus of Florissant okay. Valley Community College, uh, or St. Louis Community College, Florissant Valley campus. Right. Um, all of these places are places that are accessible via transit. Uh, you know, obviously St. Louis transit is a little bit limited. But yeah, you can only do so much. <laughs> for sure. But yeah. it is important. We try and find places that are accessible uh, that are either nearby uh, Metrolink lines or that are located on bus lines. So obviously our spot on Del Mar is a pretty good location for transit there's plenty of options or there are a number of options with regard to reaching the uh florissant valley campus so that's a good spot and clyde c miller on grand is reasonably central and accessible for you know a, a sizable portion of the geographic uh part of the city and close north county uh that we're trying to reach through these programs the other location i talked about the code camp class we are between classes right now but another one will start up in october and that takes place at the St. Louis Community College Harrison Center, which is at which is on Cast. It's not not far from the, what will be the future site of the NGA. Uh, so again, a North City location uh, where hopefully we're holding a class that's accessible to um, many of the folks that we're trying to reach and provide opportunity to. Uh, now, let's say over time, we, uh, Community College has been a great partner. Many other institutions of higher ed in the region have been great partners. So we've hosted classes at other places. We've hosted a class on the WashU campus, on the UMSL campus, on the St. Louis Community College, South, Cam South County, and Merrimack campuses, um, I think Maryville University. And we actually hosted a class once in St. Charles at oh, wow. OPO Startups, which is kind of the most far afield. We hosted a class in the Metro East for the first time earlier this year in O'Fallon, Illinois. At, it was actually at the uh, VFW Hall there, which was oh, wow. kind of a different <laughs> venue for us. We're trying to make sure as we run these programs and as we run more, we uh, get that geographic diversity as well so we can reach uh, some people who may otherwise have a hard time getting to one of our programs. Do you think that Shot in the dark, because whatever. Do you think that with the NGA coming in and housing inevitably shifting over there, unfortunately, mm -hmm. that that will make things a little more difficult for that, for the primary kind of a uh, launch code location? Um, and the, and the, uh, actually the re people residents who, who are... Just in yeah. general, yeah. I, so I think, I think it's an excellent question. I think it's a question that is top of mind for everyone, whether it's local officials who are invested in the success of NGA, for NGA leaders who are invested in the success of that facility. I think you would have to be foolish not to understand that the thing that you cannot do is simply drop this thing in as though it's an alien spacecraft arriving from another <laughs> galaxy right. with all its people already in it and saying, okay, we're just going to do this here. I, I think they recognize that. And I think um, I didn't talk about this, but NGA has, for really going on two years now, has been a great partner of ours. And, and they were the initiator of this partnership, I think in part to speak to this question, saying, how do sense. we start to build a pipeline and access for the sorts of jobs that we are going to need to fill in NGA and start working on that now? And so one of the things we do, and if you go to 4811 Delmar and go in our classroom, you'll find a group of 10 NGA employees who are current NGA employees um, who are not necessarily technical employees, right. but who are for 13 weeks going through a class that we're delivering so that they learn how to become these geographic information systems developers oh, wow. because there's going to, they're going to be a huge need for NGA to have that. And that's a growing space. And so by creating that pathway and that pipeline, I truly believe that as the need grows and as the, the facility comes online as they start to really ramp up, that that also will be the conduit through which people who hopefully live within the general footprint or vicinity uh, or neighborhood of NGA can start to become actual beneficiaries of those jobs that are coming in, right? Because if you do it right and if you create the programming that gives people the basic, the baseline skills that are necessary to do that, and then they can get training through launch code to become a GIS developer, then the avenue exists for them to find an actual career path, a federal job that's in their community that is in an actually high demand skill. And, and there's power in potentially doing that and doing it well. So I give high degree of credit to NGA for having the foresight to engage with organizations like us and to think about that very question. Uh, look, I think that if that initiative, that facility, and if the NGA is successful there, that whatever it means in terms of kind of nuts and bolts of changing 
community and shape. Like I think it only stands to benefit the community so long as they're really focused on how do we serve everybody and how do we just not drop that alien spaceship in there and try and <laughs> suck people in from all other places. It has there has to be a, a connectivity between the people who are already there and the the work that's coming in, or else yeah. it, there will be uh, it will not be as successful as it could otherwise be. So we're invested in trying to bring about that outcome as well, candidly. Yeah. It's smart on their part to do that. Yeah. I th- yeah. And I, I didn't think even that they think sh- of that sure. in that regard, but that's really smart of them to do. That they're already on the ground making sure that whatever is happening is happening before they just plop in. Yeah, there's, there's lots of there's yeah. stuff happening there. I mean, you know, they've got a this St. Louis area working group that's a bunch of people and community stakeholders and experts in the space. They've got this Project Connect, which is really around how do you engage uh, at even a... Uh, an earlier level of job readiness in the schools and in the K through 12 space, people to prepare them with the baseline skills that um, will ultimately be needed at that facility. So there is always the question of, will this work, right? Will what you do be effective and do you do it well? It's the execution question. And, and that is an open question. And we will see two years, six years, 10 years from now, whether that was executed to its uh, optimal uh, effect. Um, But what I can't question at this point is the, the recognition of the reality that's faced there and that it's one that has to be addressed and addressed well and that there's a genuine investment on the part of the NGA and I think the larger local civic stakeholders around making this successful. How do we make it so that 10 years from now, it's not just we have this federal facility, but there is genuinely like an American hub for geospatial work that exists in St. Louis and all the attendant jobs and corporate headquarters and other things that could be really powerful driver of growth and and success for the region. You know, a lot of the brightest minds, as it were, in St. Louis would be asking those sorts of questions. I mean, folks that we've interviewed on this show, I'm sure, may or may not. Already know. And be involved Mm -hmm. to some degree. So that's, that I'm confident in. Well, I think that the, the mere fact that we can even have this conversation, that the NGA made the decision to build its facility in St. Louis rather than across the river in Illinois, is a testament to the fact that there was some progress made on, uh, I mean, it doesn't, you don't have to listen very long or be very involved or engaged to hear that one of the primary drivers of discontent and, and failure in St. Louis has long been um, the lack of regional collaboration, whether it's a city versus county or people just in their own fiefdoms not working together and not right. really committed yeah. to working on things that genu- genuinely benefit the whole region. And by ger- the, the mere fact that people were able to get together, work together, and make a successful effort to get the NGA to build that thing in St. Louis, I think, to me, was a positive uh, demonstration of that, yeah, people are realizing we've got to get past ourselves. We can't just have this super parochial approach to everything we do, that we've got to work together in some ways to do things that are going to drive growth and success and um and economic uh, upward mobility in in this community. So I think that's a good thing. Now there's uh, we are going to have to prove it. And there's lots of hard yeah. steps along the way that will require um, success. I I think very highly of many of the people who are leading that effort, and I and I'm glad that Launch Code can play a small part in trying to to make that a success. Sure. So speaking of growth and upward mobility, Launch Code next few years however many years and sure. y'all have gone we talked about this a little bit but you you've gone into other cities too mm-hmm. so you've expanded actually nationally yeah. too that's, so that's a good point thinking about that and then talking about how many people are applying for mm-hmm. this you know you have 1200 applicants you only have 100 sure. something seats mm-hmm. what are there plans to expand it more sure. like in st louis specifically but mm-hmm. then also in other kind of cities around Sure. Around the nation. Yeah. So we um, we work and we have people who are permanent staff who work um, in a few other places around the country now. So we've got a permanent operation in Miami, a permanent operation in Tampa, in, in Kansas City as well. And we've also, uh, pardon me, we've gone to some other places where we worked for like 15 months and said, hey, you know what? The market here is just not the right environment for a model like launch goes to be successful and we don't want to waste money on something that's not going to be a good fit. And so we're going to leave. And so, you know, we've had a variety of experiences there. I think that what's, what we know is true is that we haven't, there's no place where we have the concentration of investment and concentration of participation as we do in St. Louis. So that's where the bulk of our outcomes exist today. And we're always trying to grow our impact in the other cities we work. But what I'll say is that in the early going of launch code, there was, I think a, there was an impetus on trying to 
figure out just how to expand quickly into new markets, kind of whatever the market looked like. And, you know, we learned a lot of things around that process. Like, hey, it does matter what the labor market looks like. And it does matter that in Seattle, yeah, there's a lot of tech jobs, but there's also a lot of people who move to Seattle who are already skilled in tech without a job because they think they can get in. And that really cuts into our ability to be successful in our mm -hmm. placement model, right? So we didn't, I don't know that we always considered those things fully. We just kind of went wherever there was a pathway to go. Right. And I think... Um, Part of that was about how to try to generate resources that could genuinely sustain the organization, even here in St. Louis. Uh, we're fortunate now that the growth of the organization has been such that based on the outcomes that we create and the revenue and support we generate in St. Louis, that the organization is sustainable. And so we can now go and say, all right, let's really think long and hard about whether we want to be in City X. Does it really look like it has the labor market dynamics that are good for us? Does it look like there's a sort of partnerships available there that are the ones we really need to be successful? And if it doesn't, then we can say, hey, we don't have to go just because we can, we're chasing a few dollars. We can t take the long view and say, where can we really be successful? Where can we build champions? Where can we demonstrate that there's a true pathway to long-term success and uh, an impact? And so that's the approach we're taking now. And so, you know, I think there's there may be uh, there's some places that we're working right now with organizations and entities that are local in those cities that are really engaged in trying to raise money uh, to bring launch code there. And I think we're not in a place yet where we can talk about that publicly, but it's work that's happening. And what I feel good about is that we've matured as an organization to a point where we can we can t do that stepping back and take a little bit longer view and saying, you know what, what's really right? What's right for the people there? What's right for us? And, and what feels like it could be a genuine long-term win-win for us in that city? And, and, and I think that's the right way to do it. So that's the way we're thinking about it. Now, there's the other question of how do we try and meet growing demand in the markets where we already work, like St. Louis, where we have all these people. And, and again, this is another organizational challenge. How do you identify and pull in uh, more resources so that we can run more instances of our class? We can say yes to more people and saying no. And part of this is about hustle. Part of it is about identifying other key partners in this ecosystem who are also driven by the same goals and the same desires. And I, I, the great example is, you know, I, I told this story. We had classes started in January. It was the same kind of deal. 160 seats to fill. I think we had 1,240 applicants for those seats. We said, man, we're turning away 1,000 plus people for this class. We, we know we're gonna start another class in April. We're gonna try and start one each quarter in mm -hmm. St. Louis this year. But we're like, there's so many people trying to get in. We gotta, we have to do more than that. And so. Uh, on a very short timeline, we went to a couple partners here. I talked about the St. Louis Community College partnership in that program. We went to St. Louis Community College and said uh, to Chancellor Pittman, hey, you know, you've seen what our program is about. Uh, you've heard me talk about it. We've talked together about it. We have all this demand for this program, and we want to try and figure out how to run more starting in April. And to his great credit, uh, the chancellor said, Let's do this program together. We'll pay the cost of running the program so we can keep it free to people. Let's run this code camp. Let's do it in April. So we had the one LC 101 we were already going to run. We added this code camp on. We also, we went to uh, the folks at Cortex. And Cortex, obviously, they're doing amazing things in right. terms of the innovation community here in St. Louis. They're also heavily invested in how does that innovation community become more genu genuinely inclusive of the entire St. Louis community. And, and so I've been fortunate to have great conversations over time with Dennis Lauer, who's the CEO of Cortex, and Hank Weber, who is the chairman of the Cortex board and, and at Washington, Washington University, about what we're doing. And, you know, I thought this was the right time. And so we went to the folks at Cortex and we said, hey, here's these applicants from January, right? 1,250 people for 160 seats. We want to try and serve more people in April. And to their great credit, they said, well, give us a proposal. And we gave them a proposal. They said, we'll fund a second LC 101 cohort to start in April as well. So mm. to be able to go in the span of just a couple weeks to yeah, community wow. partners in St. Louis and say, hey, here's this thing, this problem we're facing, and there's all these people who want this. Give us money uh, to, to do <laughs> yeah. more of it. And yeah. for them to say, all right, here's the money. Like, that's, that's really cool. That's and incredible. So, yeah. I mean, it speaks to, I think... Uh, uh, in the most uh, bragging sense, I think it, it, I was I was proud that we'd sort of developed to the organization to a place where they felt comfortable with us just coming and saying, give us this money so we can do this. And they'd say yes. But I think really what it speaks to is the deep level um, 
of investment that very that so many people in the St. Louis innovation community have towards trying to build true collaboration and true partnership and true inclusivity. I mean, without the leadership of, of those people who I mentioned and other people there, Phyllis Ellison at Cortex and Anya O'Connor at Cortex and, and Nicole Hudson, who approaches this entirely from, from the equity standpoint, being a part of that conversation and, and talking about how if we did this program, we could really focus on trying to recruit a maximum number of African-American learners into this program. All these people coming together and saying, yeah, let's do this and learn from it and, and see if we can do more of it was a really powerful collaboration. And I think the sort of thing that if you can do it over and over and replicate it and build that muscle, that it's just going to be a good thing for St. Louis, not just for us, but I think the same manner of collaboration is going to be helpful in so many different facets uh, of St. Louis need and St. Louis growth. So I was really encouraged by that. And I'm forever grateful to all those folks who I mentioned uh, from those communities who made that that possible in April. It's going to, uh, that's part of the reason why you know, we're going to get through the end of this year and be able to, to talk about this huge number of people, of new developers uh, who are in the St. Louis workforce by virtue of programs that happened in 2019, which is yeah. really cool. There are some other things, awesome. too, that are about expanding our capacity that are about our physical location. I, I can't really talk about this stuff now, but it's exciting stuff. And I hope that as that, as, that, as that stuff becomes more public, that's something that you guys will look at because it does have design components and impacts related to it. So I'll tease that a little bit, but exciting yeah. things uh, on the near horizon for Launch Code in terms of hopefully being able to, each class we, we run, being able to accommodate bigger classes than we currently do, which would be cool. Everyone can keep updated with what's going on your website, I'm assuming, social sure. media, that kind of thing. Yeah. You want to give uh, your plugs for those? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, follow us uh, on Twitter uh, at LaunchCode. We've got uh, an Instagram page at LaunchCode, launchcode.org. Go there. You can check things out. I will tell you that the week of August 19th, applications will open for the next cohort of St. Louis Code Camp. Oh, so awesome. Perfect 30, timing. 30-person hey. class. Yeah. <laughs> we did that on purpose. 30-person <laughs> class, again, in partnership with the St. Louis Community College. They're great partners, making sure, again, that this program is free. It'll be hosted at the Harrison Center. It'll start, I think, October 19th is the start date, and it runs 14 weeks. So that application process, it's a little more involved. There's an online application, and then because that's a small cohort, we have a lot of investment in each person. There is like an interview process that's the second step of that as well. So again, uh, people who are interested in that should go to launchcode.org slash codecamp. And again, this week of August 19th, those applications will go live and people can apply for that class if they're interested. Perfect. Is there an age restriction for that? No, we take all ages. Obviously, these are focused on preparing people for jobs. So we're not into like really 13-year-olds coming in because right. we probably can't place a 13-year-old at Boeing. But <laughs> beyond that, like we've placed people from age 17 to age 70 and jobs. Wow. So we don't we don't try and restrict this at all. Anybody who's interested, who's passionate, who's driven uh, can should feel free to apply. Do you want to ask your question? Nah. All right. Are you, oh, well, oh, I feel cheated. <laughs> I, know, I feel like you should. Uh, I mean, you kind of and, ask well, I, I only say no because I feel like Jeff has answered the question. I think he has too, but I think we should ask it anyway. I'm going to ask it anyway. For fun. So the question that I usually give folks mm -hmm. is if you had 60 seconds to talk to, you can choose either St. Louis or the world. Uh, let's say the world because now I'm interested. Since you feel cheated, we'll give you all of it. <laughs> uh, if you had 60 seconds to talk to the entire planet, what would you say? If I had 60 seconds to talk to the entire world, I don't know how you don't deliver a message that is about, I don't know why you should listen to me, but you have to listen to me. You've been forced to listen to me. Um, <laughs> think about how we can do better for one another. Right. This place is f***ed up, and it doesn't help you that you live in a, a f***ed up world. You should really think about how we un it, and there's lots of ways to do it. But start by being better to the people who you live with, the people who live in your house, who live in your neighborhood, who live in your city, who live in your community. Figure out how to lift them up rather than knocking them down. Most every one of our problems that we face as a culture, as a civilization, as a planet could be solved if people just gave a little bit more genuine thought to how they help the person next to them rather than try and get over on the person next to them. So absorb that. Take the lesson from me. I, I don't know. I, I try to live that as much as I can in my life, but that's probably some manner of message that I would deliver to the world if I had my 60 seconds. Mic drop. Jeff, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, really thank you so much. Uh, that was a great pleasure. Thanks for having me. Really. Yeah, I'm excited. So classes... 
Uh, registration for code cam classes will start the week that this airs and then when how long are they open for yeah applications are usually open for like uh, five or six weeks okay awesome and so for a class i think that class starts october 19th we'd probably we do rolling admissions so people would find out about their provisional admission over the course of time but probably final decisions would be made somewhere in the neighborhood of like october 10th or something like that everyone who'd applied will know whether they're in or out by that time awesome all right so thanks again to dustin our illegitimate uh tech well that guy. just sounds mean well, illegitimate it's not, it's not like secret it's or mm. it's not secret because we've said That's, his name many yeah. times unofficial <laughs> <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> i was like illegitimate just sounds yeah, like you're yeah i had to harsher i don't know okay okay so thank you to dustin our unofficial tech guy yes for helping us out Thank you to our intern, Anna Catherine, who will be doing the artwork for this episode or has done the artwork for this episode and who has helped us out uh, this last couple months. That's right. And finally, thank you, the listener. You could have watched the sunset, which would have been great. You also could have stared at the sun at high noon. I don't recommend it, but Doesn't you could have been great. doing that. Point is, you could have been doing anything else. But you're listening to us. That's right. And we appreciate it. So thank you. Also, thanks again to Critical, as always, for the music. You can follow him at that underscore guy underscore critical. He has extended his name on Instagram, but he's there nonetheless. Check him out. Very talented, as you can hear by the song we have in the podcast. He's got a lot more where that came from. Till next time, everybody. Bye.